You're listening to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Although labor unions are among the top donors filling the campaign coffers of California's Democratic legislators, many of those same legislators have blocked attempts to change policy that denies legislative staff the option to unionize themselves. The California Report explains why this may soon change. Nevada County Pride recently announced the inaugural Nevada County Pride Festival. Felton Pruitt brings us the details. Al Stoller closes out our newscast with his thoughts on the historical drama Oppenheimer. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. California's community college system is falling short on one of its most important benchmarks, the number of students who transfer to a four-year college or university. Community college reporter Adam Eckelman has more details from a new CalMatters report. If we look at the most recent data from 2021, just under 10% of the students who want to transfer actually end up transferring from a community college into a four-year institution. Community colleges that are located in urban and suburban areas have higher transfer rates than community colleges that are located in rural areas. Younger students are a lot more likely to transfer than older students. Students who receive a bachelor's degree from a four-year institution over their lifetime do earn more than students who get an associate degree from a community college. There are exceptions. There are other things that community colleges do, like career-oriented classes and certificates, but transfer ultimately is one of the key goals. And it's a goal that the system itself has really established as something that it's looking towards in the future. That's CalMatters' Adam Eckelman. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple in stores or delivered from HintWater.com. Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food on the web at theschmidt.org. Unite Here Local 11, the union striking against L.A. hotels, says Bay Area-based staffing app provider InstaWork is penalizing hotel workers participating in the strike. KQED's Rachel Myro explains. Striking is a legally protected activity, so if InstaWork of Newark has been algorithmically depressing the ratings of striking workers, that would be a no-no. The company denies doing so, but the National Labor Relations Board is looking into the matter. UCLA labor history professor Tobias Higby says it's unclear. Whether they violate labor laws in particular is a narrow legalistic question. Staffing apps have exploded in popularity in recent years, providing just-in-time labor for all sorts of employers. The union also claims at least six L.A. hotels are using staffing apps to find replacements for strikers, but that's legal. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro. 
Legislative staff in California state capital have long been banned from unionizing. In recent years, efforts to grant them that right have been shot down. As another bill to allow staff to unionize makes its way through the state legislature, CAP Radio's Laura Fitzgerald explains why this year might be different. Legislative staff are responsible for shepherding bills through the Capitol. They also help Californians navigate state bureaucracy to get the services they need. Many of these workers say they got into the job to make a difference. But multiple current and former staffers say the job's unique demands take a toll. They work long hours without overtime pay, and some experience hostile work environments. There are members in here who are classified as yellers. We know they yell at their staff. That's former legislative aide Alan Moore. He says staff are also pressured to volunteer on campaigns each election cycle. They're even asked to use vacation days to do so. And people are afraid that if they don't go out and put in this this time and effort, that they're going to be blackballed or, you know, they're not going to be the first in line for the next promotion. Labor unions play a large role in California politics. They're among top donors to Democratic legislators, who in turn have passed laws to expand rights for workers across the state. This is a point of frustration for some staffers, like Jessica Lawrence. I think it's very hypocritical to ask for campaign support and funding from the police unions, the firefighter unions, the teachers unions, and then turn around and deny your own staff the right to unionize. California's over 200,000 public employees can unionize, but legislative staff are notably excluded. Assembly Bill 1 is the fifth attempt in recent years to change that. And while this bill doesn't have any formal opposition... Legislators themselves have been the main roadblock in prior years. Last year, Senator Kelly Sayarto, a former assembly member, spoke against a similar bill. It died when it didn't get the votes it needed to pass a key committee. He said a union wouldn't fix inappropriate behavior. They shouldn't need to feel like they have to form a union to address issues like that. We should be addressing issues like that. And if we have legislators who can't behave, who can't Uh, assemble the staff and take care of them and treat them with respect, well, they shouldn't be here. You can't force a culture change. Former Assemblymember Lorena Gonzalez authored three staff unionization bills during her tenure. She now heads the California Labor Federation. She says the legislature is a unique place to work, and that's why a union is needed. You can't reprimand a member for being bad, right? Their constituents elect them. You're not getting rid of a member because they're a jerk. Unfortunately, that's just not part of the way the system works. Last year, the Capitol saw a wave of new lawmakers. That was due to redistricting and term limits. Assemblymember Tina McKinner says that turnover could account for the progress this effort has made. She's the author of AB1 and a former staffer. It just shows that the legislature has actually changed. We're willing to make progressive moves to take care of our staff. Workers in other state capitals and even in Washington, D.C. have been fighting similar battles. Legislative staffers in Oregon and Maine are unionized, and workers in the U.S. House of Representatives can also join a union. Alan Moore says this proves a blueprint does exist for California. But the institution itself has always looked out for itself and itself first. Employees come second. As the deadline for passing bills approaches in September, staff hope that this is the year the institution puts them first. For The California Report, I'm Laura Fitzgerald in Sacramento.
And finally, an effort to name one of San Francisco's famous cable cars after the late Tony Bennett is underway. And it does seem fitting as the beloved singer mentions the cable cars in his famous song, I Left My Heart in San Francisco. Market Street Railway, a San Francisco nonprofit, is leading the push. If approved by the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency, Bennett would be the fourth person with a dedicated cable car plaque. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, July 26th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. And now for your local news. If you signed up for Code Red, Nevada County's opt-in emergency alert system, and you live in Penn Valley, then you should have received an alert either as a text, email, or phone call early this afternoon. The alert was triggered by a gas leak near the Penn Valley Seventh-day Adventist Church shortly before noon. The county sent the alert advising residents in zones NCOE013 and NCOE014 to shelter indoors behind closed doors and windows. The all-clear was given and the advisory was lifted around 12.30. If you haven't yet signed up for Code Red, you can do that on the internet at public dot coderedweb.com or if you need help signing up you can contact 211 connecting point by dialing 211 on your phone or 18333425211 according to the California Highway Patrol traffic incident information page a traffic fatality was reported this afternoon on State Route 20 just east of White Cloud Campground. The incident occurred at the intersection of SR-20 and Jefferson Creek Road just after 1.30 p.m. No additional details were provided. George Kostirko, Nevada, Placer, and Sierra County's liaison for the U.S. Small Business Administration Office of Disaster Recovery and Resilience, announced today in an email that both Nevada County disaster recovery centers will be open Thursday, July 27th, and stay open until Saturday, July 29th to provide in-person assistance to assist any homeowners, renters, or business owners in Nevada, Placer, and Sierra counties who suffered physical damage or economic impacts as a result of the severe winter storms of February of this year. The two disaster recovery centers are located at the Bear River High School, that's 1130 Magnolia Road in Grass Valley, and at Alder Creek Middle School, 10931 Alder Drive in Truckee. The deadline to apply for a low-interest federal loan to repair physical damage caused by those storms was recently extended to September 1st. Learn more at Disaster Loan Assistance, that's one word, disasterloanassistance.sba.gov, or by calling 571-455-2729. And this from ubanet.com. On July 25th, a firefighter funding sales tax failed to gather a simple majority from the Grass Valley City Council and thus failed. The tax would have required the council to declare a fiscal emergency and call for a special election in November. The election would ask for voter approval of a new half-cent sales tax intended to fund additional firefighter and vegetation management within the Grass Valley city limits. Grass Valley City Manager Tim Kaiser brought the item to the City Council for a public hearing, claiming that the proposed tax was estimated by city staff to generate approximately $3.4 million before sunsetting after 10 years. Staff recommended that, if approved, 
the council allocate 50% of its general tax revenue to vegetation management and the other 50% to fire resiliency. Parties in favor of the tax cited fire department staffing issues, a need for increased vegetation management, and a general lack of wildfire preparedness as reasons for why they felt the tax was necessary. The public in attendance, however, spoke largely in opposition to the idea. The Nevada County Contractors Association and the Greater Grass Valley Chamber of Commerce both voiced concerns about regional economic distress and about how the tax would only apply more stress to that problem. Following a suggestion by a member of the public, Council Member Bob Branstrom proposed splitting the tax into two measures, one to fund the firefighters and one to fund vegetation management. But other council members claimed that the move would be risky. While the council remained supportive of the firefighters, they did not move forward with the proposal of a special election. Instead, they requested an implementation plan and will consider the tax proposal further during the March ballot. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight clear with a low around 61. Thursday, sunny with a high near 87. Thursday night, clear with a low around 61 degrees. For Truckee and the Lake Tahoe area, tonight clear with a low around 48 degrees. Thursday will be sunny with a high near 79. And Thursday night will be clear with a low around 47. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight clear with a low around 59. Thursday sunny with a high near 90. Thursday night clear with a low around 59 degrees. Currently, there are no red flag warnings or fire weather watches in our listening area. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Recently, Nevada County Pride, a local social network of LGBTQ people who celebrate and support queer people in our community, announced the inaugural Nevada County Pride Festival. The gathering is open to all and will feature performances by regional comedians, a talent competition, and a dance party. KVMR's Felton Pruitt reached out to Rick Partridge to get the details. We're talking with Rick Partridge. He's chair of the board for Nevada County Pride. They're having their Nevada County Pride Festival at the Miners Foundry in Nevada City on Sunday, August 6th. It gets underway about 1 p.m. Thanks for joining us, Rick. Thanks. It's great to be here. So I'm the board chair of Nevada County Pride, and we are excited to be bringing our area our first Nevada County Pride Festival, as you mentioned, on Sunday, August the 6th. Uh, doors open at one o'clock. We will be at our own iconic Miners Foundry in downtown Nevada City. They are co-hosting this with us. Uh, we have a lot that uh, offers something to everyone in the community. We have put the day into four different acts. Uh, the first act, which kicks off around 1.30, is dedicated to a youth a talent show and dance performances uh, brought to us through Bright Futures for Youth. Uh, act two is a comedy show. We've got three amazing comedians who are joining us from Northern California. You can read about those on our website. Uh, and that URL is nevadacountypride.org. Act three kicks off around 5.30 p.m. and that is with uh, an adult talent competition. It's gonna be hosted by our own 
infamous drag queen cloaca and burlesque star civil unrest with some special guest judges. And I will tell you this, we still have entries uh, available for you to join this talent show where we've got some amazing prizes. Again, you can learn about those on our website. And then we wrap up the evening with act four, which is a DJ dance party that will go from eight o'clock until 10 o'clock. So again, something for everyone in the community. We hope you can join us for all or part of the day. We will have a variety of organizations and vendors that will be tabling inside the Miners Foundry. We will have a food truck in the parking lot so you don't have to go far to get something to eat. The bar will be open serving both uh, adult uh, beverages and non-alcoholic beverages. So this Pride Festival has been in the planning for months. It comes on the heels of a very successful June Pride Month where we had over 12 events, not all hosted by Nevada County Pride, but many of them in collaboration with local businesses like Briar Patches Pride on the Patio, the Queer Families Group who did a family picnic that had 300 attendees. We were well over a thousand people who showed up for our events in June. And we would be pleased if we got that many coming to the Foundry to join us on August the 6th. If you'd like to learn more about how you can attend and look at the lineup of the four acts that I just mentioned, as well as donate uh, or volunteer to help us out. Uh, all of that can be found at our website, nevadacountypride.org. Uh, and we look forward to seeing you there. We've been talking with Rick Partridge. He's the chairperson of the board for the Nevada County Pride. The festival is happening Sunday, August 6, 1 o'clock, starting at the Miners Foundry in Nevada City. Rick, good luck with everything. Thanks. Appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Look forward to seeing you on the 6th of August. J. Robert Oppenheimer was the director of the Manhattan Project's Los Alamos Laboratory in New Mexico during World War II. Often credited as the father of the atomic bomb, his life was first chronicled in the 1980 documentary film The Day After Trinity. Last Thursday, British-American filmmaker Christopher Nolan released his biopic of the famed theoretical physicist. KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller saw the film earlier this week and sent us these thoughts. In the early 1900s, Marie Curie noticed that a lump of radium, fiercely radioactive radium, was always warmer than the room it was in. It was giving off energy. How could that energy release be accelerated? Physicists tried all sorts of tricks. They heated it up. They cooled it down. They squeezed it. They hit it. They swore at it. Nothing worked. In 1938, it was discovered that an atom of uranium could, rather than just radioactively decay, Rather than just go off a tiny amount of energy, an atom of uranium could split. It could fission. And that released lots of energy. That was 1938. In 1939, Germany invaded Poland and started World War II. That also started a race between the Allies and Germany to invent an atomic bomb. The American effort to build an atomic bomb was led by Robert Oppenheimer in the mountains of New Mexico. 
The film Oppenheimer has two climaxes. The first climax comes with the testing of the American bomb. The Americans actually invented two atomic bombs. The one fueled by uranium was fairly straightforward in design, so straightforward that they did not test it before it was dropped on Hiroshima. But the other bomb was fueled by plutonium, and that was very, very different. I don't expect a Hollywood movie to be educational, but it would have been nice to have had a few explanations of what was going on, especially leading up to the first climax, the Trinity test of the first atomic bomb. You see the bomb being assembled, but what actually is going on there? The plutonium bomb had a very interesting, one might say, crazy design. To detonate an atomic bomb, you've got to have a certain amount, a critical mass of fissionable material in one place at one time. With the uranium bomb, that was fairly straightforward. They had two chunks of uranium. They slammed them together, and that resulted in a critical mass. But with a plutonium bomb, if you assemble a critical mass and just let it sit there, it will detonate prematurely and result in a fizzle. What they had to do was assemble this amount of plutonium and then, at the moment of detonation, squeeze it, squish it, make it smaller so that all that plutonium is occupying a smaller amount of space all at the same time. To do that, they surrounded this sphere of plutonium, about 13, 14 pounds of plutonium, surrounded it with another sphere that they built up layer by layer of chemical high explosives. Chemical high explosives we're familiar with are TNT or nitroglycerin. They had solid explosives. The thing was, they had to manufacture these high explosives into a lens a lens that would focus not light, like glass focuses, a lens that would focus the shockwave of the detonation so that they could detonate it from the outside and continue detonating it inside so that the shockwave would work its way in and be focused down onto that sphere of plutonium. And that is what led up to the first climax of the film. As you might expect, that climax had some very decent special effects. The next part of the film, leading up to the second climax, dealt with post-war politics. Now, I vote. That's important. But I found it's not a good idea for me to discuss politics. So I'm going to let that part of the film go by. Oppenheimer was an okay movie. I'm no movie critic. I don't know what makes a blockbuster and what doesn't. But uh, yeah, it was okay. If you're thinking of going, remember that it is a long movie, and because it is digital rather than on celluloid film, there is no intermission. <laughs> Be prepared. The uh, theater, of course, is air-conditioned. Be prepared for that, too. For KBMR, I'm Al Stoller. And that's our newscast for this Wednesday, July 26th. KVMR gets support from 1849 Brewing Company. Brewing lagers, ales, also specialty IPAs and stouts. 
offering a pub-style menu, weekly live music, and an outdoor patio. Open seven days a week at 11 on Sutton Way in Grass Valley. 1849brewingco.com Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. Thanks very much for listening and for supporting local media. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Have a great evening.